Hello, and welcome to another episode of 32, the 28 podcast. I'm Alexander, and I'm joined today by Kevin. Hello. And Kevin, you've been designing games in this interesting summer where England's burning, you're having political turmoil, and crypto value are crashing down hard. Is it a better time to release a cyberpunk game than now? <laughs> I know, right? Um, yeah, uh, someone actually commented on the Instagram that I posted when I posted that we were launching it saying, uh, this is too close to reality, go away. <laughs> With a game about late stage capitalism and the end of things. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the game is called Kill Sample Process. It's doing really well on Kickstarter at the moment. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the game? Yeah, so it's um, it's the third game in a series of games that I've been making uh, called Forbidden Psalm, which is based on, originally, the Morkborg, and I'm saying that wrong because I'm... Morkborg. There you go. <laughs> uh, and we're bad at saying things in other languages. We usually just say them louder. Um, and uh, it's a miniatures version of a role-playing game um, where I converted it. So the first one was a fantasy setting, dark fantasy setting. Uh, the next one then... Um, was set around a kind of World War One theme, kind of World War One, World War Two, and that was called the Last War. And then this one now, Kill Sample Process, is essentially the cyborg version of uh, of the game. So it's set in a world that should have ended, um, where cap- capitalism has kind of carried on trucking and carried on exploiting and carried on ruining things. Uh, you've got a crew of five miniatures, um, so it's it's very small scale skirmish. Um, you create them by rolling a random floor, a random feat for them. You give them some equipment. You can buy them some modifications, some cyber mods. Uh, they can even have mutations, uh, and then you set them out to complete scenarios um, in a very narrative driven game. Uh, it can be played solo, co op, or versus. So you can play it on your own. You can play it. Uh, kind of cooperatively with someone else um, or you can actually play it uh, kind of competitively uh, against a friend or hopefully you'll still be a friend at the end um, <laughs> but the always underlining... a good goal I guess <laughs> <laughs> the underlining design principle of, of all the Forbidden Sound games is uh, that when your guys die it's fun uh, and when you lose it's still fun That was that's, that's the driving principle behind all of it I think that's kind of a good goal. I mean, somebody told me not to get overly uh, attached to your characters in Merc Body. And I was just like, yeah, I never get attached to them. But I presume that might be a hazard for other people. So it's always a good thing to make it more fun when you when you lose them, so to speak. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, having played a lot of different miniature games like Necromunda, for example, where it's not particularly fun when you guys start to die. Uh, mm. I really wanted to kind of get away from that and have that. When you guys die, you're just giggling because it's just a bit silly, and uh, you're going to get another one for free. So it's fine that this one didn't quite make it. But that's also a good way to avoid that kind of uh, downward spiral that usually happens in games like uh, Mordheim or Necromunda, where you start losing members and then you lose more games, and then suddenly it's really just not that much fun to play anymore because. You're just getting crappier, and if you have a small circle of friends, <laughs> they just keep getting better at your expense. Yeah, On the other hand, you. I could see that kind of being like a meta theme for kill sample process. <laughs> if you're poor, you're going to get poorer. <laughs> there's definitely a little bit of that to the game of that, but there is, um, yeah, th- there is a thing where you know if a guy dies, you get another one for free. Uh, one of the fun mechanics I've actually added to this game over the other ones is a, a wanted level. Um, mm-hmm. And once your crew is kind of built up enough reputation and they've done enough kind of nefarious things, not only do you get people free, you get them with free and they come with uh, one random weapon. That mm. sounds good, except some of the random weapons are literally a broken bottle of glass, a broken <laughs> glass bottle, um, all the way up to uh, a single shot like arch rifle that will just one shot pretty much anything in the game. So <laughs> you're really like, it's a real luck of the draw kind of thing with what they come with. Um, and yeah, so, and then the wanted level also has negatives in which if you get too high, one of your crew is going to get arrested and they're just going to be all mm. gone. Uh, which I love the mechanic that you might get to a point where you get a new guy in and then he's immediately arrested. <laughs> <laughs> 
do you then get a new guy again or do you have to play a game? No, you get a new guy. <laughs> you always, so you, you can end up have... in a really weird like parallel uh-huh. universe where you just keep rolling new guys and it never ends. <laughs> <laughs> they just keep getting arrested. It, when they get arrested, your wanted level lowers. So it then takes you below the threshold mm. of being uh, of needing to have them arrested again. But um, so no infinity like... loops there. <laughs> no, but I do really like that idea. <laughs> I know it breaks the game, but maybe maybe, maybe as can... an you know appendix to something extra fun to add on later. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah. So that's the game. It's uh, yeah. It's up on Kickstarter. Um, it, it's miniatures agnostic, and it heavily encourages, as the previous ones did, kind of kit bashing and and making your own guys and making them unique and, and to yourself, um, which is, it's a bit of a kind of just position of the game, which is we want you to make your own guys, spend time creating them, but they will die immediately. So mm. <laughs> don't get too attached. Yeah. yeah, and, it, and I mean, we all know that, you know, when a miniature dies, you toss it away. Of course. I mean, who keeps <laughs> dead miniatures? That's just insane. <laughs> you can't reuse them. No, 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 no. That's, that's just crazy talk. Yeah, all the single-use plastic in the oceans is just miniatures we've all thrown away. Absolutely, <laughs> late-stage <laughs> capitalism always giving joy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, one thing I've been thinking about the kill sample process is: it set on like our Earth, or is it just you know a weird-ass setting that you cooked up yourself, or what is the like background? Because to be honest, I don't usually read the lore of games. Yeah, so it's um, it's very much kind of taking from uh, the the cyborg game, the, the cyborg role playing game, mm-hmm. uh, which is the follow on from from Morkborg. Um and in their setting, it's a like a mega city called Psy, um that kind of yeah is this late stage capitalistic society. It's absolutely awful. No one would want to live there, and it that's as far as they go with their setting. They they kind of always have this context in terms of the different factions in the city and different things that are going on. But it's never determined whether that's part of our world or it's mm. its own world. You know, this could be a mega city in the future of Earth. It doesn't really say. And kind of um, been, uh, Kill Sample Process does the exact same thing where it doesn't really. It lets you decide on, is it our future? Is this some, you know, alternative timeline, some other place? You know, if you wanted to set um, Psy in an existing universe of an existing game that you really like, you know, like an uh, Inquisition type game or mm. or something else. You absolutely could. It's kind of got that freedom. I kind of I don't know if you've ever played the the video games Dark Souls, and I hate yes, normally the big fan of them. Yeah, I, I usually hate the comparison of like, oh, this is Dark Souls esque, or and it's not Dark Souls esque in its mechanics, but in the storytelling where it's like, here's some loose framework, mm. and it's up to you to do a bit of interpretation, and yeah. the storytelling is done in the description of the monsters and the hostiles and in the little bits of tidbits here and there, there isn't like, you know, 40 pages of setting you have to read. It's, there is a page at the front of the book that says that this is roughly the setting and there's a couple of pages on the campaign page and then you go, you play, um, and you can add and interpret what you want from it. Um, the scenarios then, because it, again, it is narratively driven. So each scenario has a, little paragraph at the start that kind of sets what you're doing and why you're doing it. Mm. Um, and then you you play out the scenario and you tell the story how you, that you want to tell. So it gives people a bit of freedom to, to add on what they want. One of the uh, players of that played Last War, he set it in a world set in the 40K universe that was Imperial Guard, so where they had like trenches and things, um, mm. because that's what he wanted to do. And it's great. He could take the setting that's pretty loose and bolt it onto something else he really cared about and yeah this this does the same thing so there isn't you know a huge uh uh you know 20 30 pages of law you need to read or care about before you can pick up some dice and have some minis attacking each other with glass bottles i think that's a very like mature approach to gaming because it allows the players to they have a little bit of there to work with if they want to, or they can just, you know, stick it in a Dungeons and Dragons kind of universe where you have cyber elves, I guess, if that's your kind of thing, or just, you know, ignore it and just play. I mean, that's also quite a lot, quite a lot of fun. I usually my kind of approach to just write a few paragraphs to get the imagination going when building a miniatures, and then stories just, you know, they happen during the game. 
you don't have to write a lot of background for it. It might even yeah. detract from it. Completely. And some of this is, you know, th th there are games out there where they have a huge amount of lore and, and for people that want that, those exist and that's great. Um, I mean, recently started playing uh, 30K with a local group mm. and the rule book for that is, you know, half the rule book is just the setting lore. I've not read a page of it because I'm completely not that interested <laughs> in reading 100 and 200 pages of, of backstory of why my guy's pauldron must be a specific color. Um, uh, but other players are, and that's great. It, that's mm -hmm. not necessarily what attracts me. So when I create games, I'm going to create them very much in that same vein of here's the basics. Here's the stuff you need to care about of why your guys are doing what they're doing to give you some flesh to, to, to the game. And, uh, but then you can build on it and you can add as much as you want and you tell the story as you play. That emergent story is much more interesting to me than, you know, writing 130, 140 pages worth of narrative for you uh, to care about. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I fully agree on that sentiment. So uh, from my understanding, your background isn't really in game design in any way. So what was it that, you know, drove you to create Forbidden Solemn, really? Um, yeah, so <laughs> my background is uh, I work in uh, climate change. I work for a climate change charity. Um, and when lockdown hit and, and the pandemic hit in the UK, uh, I suddenly just had so much more time on my hands of sitting in the house. And I was still working. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, we were seeing this pandemic play out that was pretty negative. And obviously climate change is not the most fun uh, fun time to work in. Um, so uh, I don't know what about either of those things that led me to start making games about the end of the world. Um, but <laughs> it, <laughs> it definitely was a thing to escapism and creativity and, and kind of taking me to make something and actually enjoy making things and the process of kind of just creating, basically. Um, so a lot of the artwork in the books is, is artwork I make or I work with the community to commission it. Uh, the writing is mostly mine. I have some guest scenarios and things. And it's just a really creative outlet to switch off from thinking about, you know, climate change and mm. pandemic and, and other things that are quite heavy subjects to, to have on your head. And, yeah, working in the job I do, a lot of my job is just knowing about the terrible state we are in when it comes to climate change. So, yeah, it can get, <laughs> it can get a bit depressing. <laughs> so having an outlet that I can go play with toy soldiers and, and write silly rules is uh is definitely what motivated me to get into it um I've, I've played miniature games for a long time and uh been a role player before that so definitely been a, a fan of the genre and, and of this so it's kind of amazing now that i get to, to create stuff as well yeah i can only imagine like that has to be quite satisfying to be able to create your own kind of systems and try out fun ideas instead of just working with uh, other fr other games and just trying to like mod them a little bit. Yeah, completely, and I, I, you know, there's a lot of games I love out there. A lot of miniature games. I play a huge range of them. The thing that I think these games do differently in, in some ways is there is a sense of humor to them. Often, like when I'm designing a scenario or uh, a monster, or an enemy, or something, um, there is usually I, I go with the idea that's the most fun not necessarily mm. the most balanced or the most uh, uh, kind of sensible from a game design necessarily, but like, no, this is interesting. It's fun. This will be fun to play against, or it'd be fun uh, to try and complete this scenario. Um, yeah. You know, one of the scenarios in one of the expansion books for the original Forbidden Psalm, you're just fighting angry goats. And it was because <laughs> of which I was like, you should just put like an angry goat in. I was like, okay. And then I wrote a whole scenario about it. Um, and that became the, the, the enemy. So in this game where there's all these other horrific creatures, one of them is just a pissed off Billy Goat. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's what you're dealing with. Yeah, I think that's like really cool and very old school in a sense. You know, if you recall like uh, third edition Warhammer, not 40k, like mm -hmm. proper Warhammer, yeah. there was no such thing as balance back there. And it was more like, hey, here's a fun scenario where you're like 10 space marines against 100 orcs. Good luck. And it's kind of fun, whatever you're playing, to have this kind of approach where it's more about the, the story, but it's still open-ended. I mean, I've been playing uh, the Lord of the Rings, uh, Quest of the mm -hmm. Ringbearer, 
and those aren't even those aren't balanced at all you're just like yay you're four hobbits against the nazgul's good luck <laughs> but it's really fun to throw out all the balancing and point counting and just be like hey here's some yeah. stuff go nuts yeah completely i you know again having just started playing 30k and having to think about like the point costs of each gun each guy has and each bit of equipment and you know you end up with like a spreadsheet literally spreadsheets mm-hmm. with your your guys in trying to work it out and some people really enjoy that list building uh, i can see an enjoyment to it but you know really i just want to roll some dice and have some fun yeah and yeah that there's a when it comes to like my the games i want to design and the games i want to play to some extent much more interested in those kind of narrative games because even when i play 30k i don't actually remember all the list building and the spreadsheet and all of that stuff or the fluff from the book I remember the thing that happened on the table when I was playing against my friend and the dumb thing that I did with that one character that I shouldn't have done, but I did it because it was fun. And that's the thing we remember over all the other stuff. And when I'm approaching game design, it's very much, okay, let's design a game that is just about that, the fun mm-hmm. stuff that happened on the table. Um, yeah, the, my in, in the original Vin Sam, there was a character that I used throughout the book as the example character, Nifel, his name was. And it was a, a miniature I made... Um, so there's a miniature in the book and I use this character throughout the entire book to explain all the rules and then the first game I get into after the book's out with that character I roll a critical failure and he turns into a puddle of goo (laughs) and so it was just before the book went to print so I added in the back of the book that one Niffel was hurt in the creation of this book and it's that kind of thing (laughs) where I've got this story about this one mini that, uh, you know, he he was the thing that kick it, kicked it all off. He was the thing I made that inspired mm. me to like, write rules. Uh, and he took me through this journey of writing the first book. And then the first time I actually get to play it after it's finished and I've published it and it's out in PDF for people who are just about to go to print, uh, he dies. <laughs> he rolls a one and then he rolls another like uh, critical thing and he, he just turns into a puddle of goo and he dies. And it was great. <laughs> I couldn't have asked for a better outcome. No, no, I mean, that's the kind of thing you have to embrace and just enjoy, yeah. really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, so he's immortalized in the, um, in the book as uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the Niffel that was hurt in the creation of the book. Um, and I hope you melted the miniature as well. <laughs> I, well I actually sent it uh, to uh, Joanne uh, No, uh, the guy who is the artist of the original Mork ah, book. Yeah. book. Um, so I actually sent that mini to him. <laughs> all right that's a nice gift yeah i was like this is the thing that kicked it all off you should have this um, yeah so he's he's got that <laughs> i can imagine him having like tons of weird here's a character sheet of my hero who died and here's a skull i found <laughs> i thought of you <laughs> he does have just a collection of crazy stuff yeah yeah here's um, a bag of teeth not mine <laughs> Well, to be fair, it was because he was so good about this. The, the Morpork guys are so good at about supporting their community. Mm. But when I first created the book and I chucked it up on Kickstarter, it had uh, a cover that I'd done that wasn't amazing. And I approached him and said, like, would you be interested in any art? How much would it cost? And he basically said, paint me a mini and I'll do you the mm. cover. And he did. And that, yeah, it was amazing. So he did the cover, the original cover of the Forbidden Psalm book. Um, and I painted him the, the mini. The cover art is of a, a miniature called the Corpse Collector, and that's the mini I painted for him. So I sent him that, oh. and I also sent him some others. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so he's got those in his house somewhere, I assume. Um, mm-hmm. And just really great guys, really great supportive community, and it that's fed over into the Forbidden Sound community. Um, just really interactive community. Everyone's really lovely, thankfully. We haven't had any huge problems yet, Tetwood. Um, yeah, so... It's a really pleasant yeah, I, yeah, I think that's like uh, a very modern style in a way to have this because, I mean, old school designers might have been super nice people as well. I'm not saying anything bad about them, but they didn't have the technological possibilities we have today mm-hmm. of having this kind of like, for example, Discord communities, which is something we spoke in last episode with uh, Steve a lot about this kind of like... Uh, do-it-yourself grassroots kind of community building where somebody just mm-hmm. has a crazy idea for a game and so just a lot of energy that attracts others and they're like, hey, I want to be you know, doing stuff. And 
for example, the Merc body has an insane amount of this kind of like third license or oh, yeah. whatever it's called, like off license kind of stuff that's happening. And I think that's just, you know, really healthy. And uh, I mean, I understand why some uh, corporations might not be super interested in, you know, bleeding out their IP from their perspective. But I think it's when it's small teams, it's actually more of a positive. It attracts energy. It attracts people to do their stuff and actually buy the game. So, yeah, you might lose out a few pennies, but you earn a few dollars. So it's, <laughs> I think you are in the net positive anyway. Yeah, completely. Like We've had people buy Forbidden Sun because they're miniature gamers and then go and buy the Morkborg book because they wanted more of the narrative and more of the setting, which is going to be more fleshed out in the role-playing version of the game. So, you know, they people have literally said to me, like, oh, I've bought this, I've now gone and bought other content, both from the original creators and other third-party content, to flesh out their Forbidden Psalm games, mm. um, which is great, you know? It was really great that their generosity of opening up their license and their product to other people to make their own stuff, like I have, mm. uh, has now repaid that people are also... F- coming to their product through those third-party projects, um, which is great. Um, on Forbidden Psalm, actually, someone made a whole campaign uh, called uh, Regicide um, for Forbidden Psalm. So there's this whole third-party campaign you can buy to play using mm. the Forbidden Psalm rules. Um, so it's the first third-party of a third-party thing for Morkborg. Uh, okay. <laughs> so they, they were like, this 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 snake's going to eat its own tail eventually. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a multi-level marketing where nobody gets paid and nobody expects to get paid. Yeah, uh, but we make some cool stuff and hopefully people enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Instead of just recruiting people, you're actually producing things. So yeah. it's, a, it's a good twist on the whole concept. Absolutely. Um, and with the, all of the books and kill sample process is exactly the same. The art in it is from the community. So I've gone out to the community and, and said, like, anyone is an artist, send me, you know, your, your resume and I'll pick some of you and send you some ideas and I'll pay you to make art for it. So, mm. you know, I've not gone and just found any old artist. The, the art that will be in the book has come from the community. Um, same with Last War, the alternative hardcover artwork was... Uh, one of the community members goes by Bertie Bop. Um, and yeah, it's the same, like, it's great because it's all their Discord names or their yeah. Instagram <laughs> handles that I know them by. I don't know them as like real named people necessarily. Um, <laughs> but it's great because, yeah, the, the artwork in Kill Sample Process that's been shown so far, some of it's mine, some of it is by, uh, they go by Atletis on, on Twitter. Um, and there's a, a bunch of other community artists that are currently drawing some stuff up that will be shared in the next couple of weeks on the Kickstarter as well. So that's also awesome that it, it really is like a community-created project in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, which is it's awesome because it's not just then me making a thing. And uh, I also get to reward some really great artists from the community who all undervalue themselves as well. Uh, oh, I can only assume, yeah. yeah. yeah Artists time, are interesting to work with in that sense. Yeah, the amount of times I've had, like, I had one for um previous book, I won't name, like, shame and name, but, you know, it was like, oh, yeah, just give me, like, I don't know, 10, 10 pounds. I was like, I'm not giving you, you've just made me all this amazing <laughs> art. I'm not giving you a tenner. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? No, I'll pay you a lot more than that. Uh And, yeah, and then I'm going, no, no, don't worry about it. I'm like, no, no, take the money. <laughs> mm, yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, it's not coming out of your pocket, so it's, you know. Exactly. So people are buying the book. I want there to be good quality art, and yeah, you're a good artist, like, take it. So, mm. yeah, it, it, that's been interesting as well. Um, where I, I do feel like a lot of the time the community artists undervalue their, their quality, and some of the stuff they produce is just fantastic. Um, mm. Yeah, it's spoiled for choice a lot of the time. It's when you don't see it as your, you know, day job then you're just like oh it's just a little bit of fun so mm-hmm. it can't be you know i can't charge for it but yeah i mean definitely i mean if it's good work then you should get something it depends a bit of course on like whatever funds are available but yeah. i mean we are 28 it's also you know completely community driven in that sense that we write a few articles ourselves but 
most of the stuff is just people send us ideas or I see somebody and be like, hey, tell us about whatever you're doing. <laughs> Can you write something about that? So it's people really love to contribute to projects. And when they see like, hey, this is actually happening, I think it gets good, you know, energy. And it's cool to see somebody be like, hey, I had this weird ass project and now it's an actual thing. Yeah, no, completely. And talking about 28, I think there's there's been so much kind of cross-pollination. Like if you go look at, you know, the Discord, there's so many people in the Forbidden's Arm Discord that are in the 28 Discord. And uh, yeah. And they're all in the weld as well. (laughs) And that's a strange place. And they know it. If they're listening, they know I think it's strange. (laughs) (laughs) But it's great because, like, a lot of the kind of crazy kit bashing and and, uh, sculpting you're seeing from people for Forbidden's Arm are the same people doing it for 28. They're doing it for other. And yeah, Mm -hmm. you've just got this amazing creative community just making just like really amazing or sometimes very disturbing uh items it uh, happens yeah <laughs> there's, there's a fine line <laughs> yeah no i mean it's in a lot of ways it's this very like underground even though it's consists of you know thousands of people who mm-hmm. just contribute in whatever way they do it but it's i think it's cool that it's not nobody can really own it and be like hey i created inca 28 you know i have to this de- i get to decide what it is or i get to decide how to kit bash stuff or you know, this is what Grim Dark is, you know, that's bullshit. It's like whatever you want to do. It's, you know, if you want to do this and call it Grim Dark, go for it. It's yeah. not a, there's nothing you can own in that sense. And uh, yeah, we end up with a lot of really interesting products. I mean, Turnip 28 is another one of those weird ideas Max just had and was like, hey, I want to do this. And people, enjoy it. I mean, it's going really well and a lot of other similar projects. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think the, the great thing for me is seeing, like I've, I've chatted to, to Max on, on, um, Inc. Uh, and, and, uh, a couple of the other guys on Weld. And there's just this really like supportive community of people creating things. No one's like acting competitively or like, mm. or, you know, your game is encroaching on my space or anything like that. It's, it does feel very communal. Um, yeah, you know, it feels like the early days of punk kind of thing where, mm-hmm. yeah, we've yet to sell out. Um, that'll come, I'm sure. Oh, but. that'll so come. <laughs> I mean, I personally, I hope 28 is leading the charge for sellout. <laughs> Daddy <laughs> needs to be paid, you know. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be that, you know, sex pistol manager of the whole, <laughs> of the yeah, whole yeah. scene and just be like, how do we make some cash? <laughs> Hey, Games Workshop, I'm listening, you know, you want to come buy me out? Like, <laughs> Just send me a bill. <laughs> you're not getting me, but you're getting the product. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they wouldn't want me to be fair. No, I don't, I don't think I would do pretty well there either. I mean, yeah, they can stick me in some corner and just be like, here are databases, can you, you know, do stuff with them? And I'm just like, heaven, but... <laughs> Other than that, yeah, no, I don't think corporate in that sense is my my cup of tea at the moment. I mean, yeah, I'm too much of a, a hippie that works in charities and. Uh... <laughs> hey, we have a mega corporation producing plastic. Why don't you love us? <laughs> Probably doesn't go down that well. Um, mm. yeah. <laughs> I don't even want to think about the carbon footprint of you know Games Workshop. Um, yeah. yeah, or. Even think about just about the empty sprues. You cut off the small pieces and then you're just having this sprue and you're just like, where do I toss this then? I mean, I just dig a pit in the garden and fill it in there and be like, that's future Alex problem. (laughs) Let the plastic trees grow. Somehow better for the environment than just throwing it in the ocean. So Yeah, (laughs) at least it's safe put. (laughs) It doesn't strangle a turtle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now it's just becoming sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that's usually conversations with me. I've worked in climate change for too long, clearly. Um, mm. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, <laughs> an interesting space to work in. You end up with a bit of a gallows humor about it. Oh, but that's like for everyone, you know. I worked in the hotel industry, and, you know, our humor is, you know, I would say, mean on a good day. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the things you do to get by and, and 
Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, it's kind of, uh, I don't, wouldn't say survival mechanism because it's not that serious, but it's a way to cope with having to, you know, constantly deal with stressful situations. So I can only assume, you know, first aid, anyone who's like a medic oh, yeah. or in that kind of field, that has to be a really dark humor. Oh, completely. Um, I, I, I'm saying this, all of my colleagues I work with are just wonderful people who aren't like this at all. So it's it's mostly just me, I think. <laughs> so you're the problem. <laughs> yeah, I'm clearly, I'm clearly the problem. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Forbidden Psalm, are you thinking of ever doing any like miniatures for it, or is it just going to keep going? This like just take whatever you have and bash it. Um, yeah, potentially. Um, I think I've worked with a couple of uh, STL creators who've made uh, some minis for it. Um, I write some scenarios for uh, Bestiarium miniatures mm. um, that they give out via their, their Patreon each month. Um, so there's a couple of kind of like unofficial minis, I guess. Yeah. But kind of official in that I've worked with the creators. So for Last War, uh, worked with Knucklebones miniatures who made a fantastic STL of um, uh, the uh, Angel of Morte. Mm. It's kind of biblical angel um and yeah but in terms of actually like making a miniatures range i mean i'd be absolutely kind of i would love to do it i tend to like working with people who are already making miniatures and then writing mm. some rules for them so i've mm. done that a bunch i did it with uh anna with gardens of hectate something that? about that i don't know how to pronounce it either um, yeah so did some rules for a kickstarter she did did some rules for Bisterium, done some for Trench, uh, Gloomy Trench, or Gloom Trench, I think it's called. Just did some for another game called uh, Fearsome Wilderness. Uh, so yeah, I quite like kind of finding miniature ranges that already exist mm. and being like, hey, let's do a thing jointly. You know, I'll promote your minis and I'll write you some rules. And then people who like Forbidden Psalm can use your minis and then people who like your minis have a game that they can use uh, them with as well. So done a lot of that as well, a lot of cross-promotion more than necessary creating my own. Um, if someone wanted to, I'd be more than happy to have that conversation. I think it's a case of I don't really know how to do it. No, <laughs> so, but I mean, yeah. that's you know what a producer is for. You know, yeah. you're, you're not the raw talent, but you have your your web of connections and other possibilities opening up. And, you know, I think in a way that's, you know, even the collaboration part is very like punk rock being, you know, oh, I'm going to come and sing on your track if you're going to come drum, yeah. do the drums on my album then next week. So, yeah, I yeah. think it's, if it's really cool to see these kind of uh, small collaborations. And, I mean, for example, uh, Nick is working on a project for us at 28 for the next volume, doing a small, you know, uh, 2D game, so mm -hmm. it's going to be you know you just rip it out of the magazine and play away. Okay, first you know you have to actually print the magazine, but let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> that's you know that's the future problem. <laughs> that's a reader's problem. Um... <laughs> that's a reader's challenge. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, I, I love the collaboration approach as well, where, and again helping promote people who have similar kind of uh, reach to I have like it's not a huge reach you know we're talking a couple of thousand people maybe that mm. are interested in playing you know we're not games workshop levels and they're in the same boat and it's nice then that I get to take the couple of thousand I know mm. and introduce them to them and they get to introduce me to their few thousand people they know and uh, you have that kind of cross-pollination of ideas and yeah very much like playing on each other's tracks in a yeah. album yeah for sure yeah, no, I mean, I strongly support all that kind of thing and try to, you know, help out a lot with using, you know, 28's reach. I mean, we have, I don't know, a couple of tens of thousands of readers, so mm -hmm. the data is a bit vague to say, pinpoint exactly how many unique, but there's a lot of followers, let's say it like that. So it's really cool to be able to show, like, for example, the small challenge we did for kill sample process showing up like, hey, Here's a cool thing we actually enjoy. So let's do something fun with that. And uh, for those listening who, for some reason, didn't know we were doing a small challenge, we had uh, the goal was to write a villain, if I remember correctly, right? A villain or a scenario. Um, so people had a choice. You could either come up with a concept for like a scenario 
uh, for the game or or a, a yeah like a hostile or a villain or something um yeah so they, they had a choice and you've been receiving then some uh, submissions i think we closed yesterday we did there was one that snuck in today uh are we having uh, are we being merciful <laughs> well they didn't win so i can say we let it in, but it didn't. Yeah, win. I think we showed mercy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so there's uh, we, we had quite a good lot of submissions, some really great ones, uh, some ones that made me chuckle. Some people went out of their way and you know made miniatures uh, and sculpted things for it and sent pictures in, which was amazing. Oh, that's uh, really cool. Yeah, I wasn't necessarily expecting that because you know mm. we tried to keep it a bit. It was more of a you know write down some notes kind of challenge. Yeah. Completely. And even just like, hey, don't worry if you don't know the game very much. Just if you've got an idea, send it in and um, mm. you've got a chance to win type thing. Um, so, yeah, we, we had just a, kind of a huge gambit of different entries um, that were various in terms of from serious to very jokey to very wacky to completely <laughs> out there um, as well. So, yeah, it was great to kind of see the breadth of what people were coming up with. And have you decided on the winner already? Yeah, and again, because I don't tend to follow convention, I've picked two. Um, of course. So originally, there was going to be one. There was actually two. I couldn't make my mind up. Um, and uh, what I decided was I would pick one hostile, one enemy type, and one submission. Um, hmm. was, I thought it would be a cool way of doing it. Uh, so the, the hostile submission that won was by, they just said, put their name down as Hugo. Uh, so Hugo. This is you. I have emailed you to let you know that you won. So hopefully awesome. I'll have your full name. Um, and uh, their hostile they submitted was a window washer bot. That's Sorry, a that. window washer robot. A window washer bot. That, 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 I'll read their concept because I love it. The concept is that uh, in cyberpunk settings, there's lots of windows, have you noticed? And someone is washing those windows, uh, which is called the wild wow bot. Uh, it's got chemical wash for softening up grime which also unfortunately can reduce the armor of things it attacks. Uh, it has a short-range squishy bottle for its weapon, uh, an electroscraper for removing really stuck-on bits. And uh, yeah, that's it. It's just a window washer bot that considers you dirt. And I think that's just like a brilliant idea. Very, very much forbidden song. Well done, Hugo. Congratulations. <laughs> I think that's yeah. a really good idea. And I hope somebody builds that one. Yeah, so that's going in the book. Um, and Hugo will get a, a copy of the book for free. Um, and then the other winner we went with was, uh, for the scenario, um, was a hollow billboard that somehow gains sentience and is blasting anyone who comes near it with ads directly into their implants. So if you've got cyber implants, <laughs> it kind of takes over your brain and just fires pop-up ads at you. Uh, and this was Bryce Fraser, who... Uh, who submitted this, and it's such a great idea that I was like, yeah, that's fantastic. Got to have that in the game. Um, so basically, if you get too close to it, it just fires ads at you, but then you're also set out to try and disable it. Or <laughs> capture the AI powering it because a nefarious benefactor wants it from you. Um, <laughs> so you, you can try and risk getting too close to steal the AI away uh, or just try and destroy it. Uh, but again, really love the idea. These were the two ideas that both made me laugh the hardest and mm. kind of just fit the theme, which is, yes, it's this uh, dark, depressing world in the sense of, you know, it's it's a world that should have ended. It's the late stage capitalism. But there's our, our tongues are in our cheek, you know? They're yeah. firmly in our cheek in this setting. We want to have some fun with it. We don't want it all just to be doom and gloom. And uh, we want to point out the ridiculousness of it as well. So having a window washer bot and a billboard as the two things that win just fit perfectly. So Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. Congratulations to both the winners. That was very well done. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see like a fleshed out scenario and a villain for this or just an enemy, I guess, because there might be more of them. So yeah. hopefully somebody will even do a warp and just, you know, disgruntled working bots. <laughs> I really love that idea. I'm now going to add that to the book. Oh, yes. <laughs> Originally, these weren't going to be a thing that you could use as a mercenary or as a, as a member of your warband. It's now going to be in there. 
So yeah, why not? Let's have the window washer bot as a someone that you can actually hire for your warband because uh, <laughs> that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I think definitely that's going to be a, a fun game. When can we, you know, expect to see a PDF or a physical copy of the of the game? Yeah, so PDFs will be landing in September. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the book is. 95% finished. Um, we're just waiting on a couple of pieces of artwork uh, from some artists that I've uh, commissioned and then adding in these little bits from the competition and then any stretch goals that we get to the Kickstarter. Um, and then the, so that'd be the PDF. And then the physical book, we're looking probably end of year, beginning of new year, just because getting things printed at the moment mm. is a bit of a nightmare and shipping's a nightmare. So yeah. we tend to, overestimate those and then if we deliver early great we did it with last war we're well on track to hit our deadline of september for that one mm-hmm. um the pdf's already gone out um but yeah we're probably looking for the physical end of the year beginning of next year but pdfs will be with people uh probably end of the summer september at the latest okay um, yeah yeah but that's <laughs> nice and i can start playing and we can start seeing you know Weird ass game sh- shots and be like, all right, all right. Yeah, I'm excited to get it into people's hands. I've, as I've worked on now a number of books, this is my fourth book. Um, kind of got more confident in just leaving some of the more mad and wackier things in because people mm. seem to resonate with that and enjoy it. So, and whatever my weird sense of humor is, uh, it seems to resonate with some other people. So, yeah, definitely leaning on that a little bit more. Um, is there any upcoming projects after Kill Sample Process you can you know, tell us a little bit about? Yeah, so I've got two, two other things in the works. One is kind of got two titles, because of course it does. Uh, the, the official title is going to be Legitimate Salvage, but it was codenamed Project Mara, um, which is, I don't know if you've ever heard of the role-playing game Mothership. I think I've heard the name, haven't played it. So it's a kind of similar to, to Morkborg in that it, it has like a, a third-party license. It's a small indie role-playing game. It's one of my favorite role-playing games. You basically are a crew in space just trying to survive. Uh, it's a bit of space horror, so it pulls heavily from things like Alien, Dead Space, but also kind of a lot more just you're a corporate peon that's just trying to get through their day. You know, you're like an engineer on a crew or something like that. Um, and it's a miniature version of that game. Uh, okay. So giving it the forbidden arm treatment, basically, but using the mothership rule set as the base yeah. and then adapting it for miniatures. So it's a D100 system. Um, so everything is, you roll a D100 and you need to get under your target number, uh, which is quite fun. Um, and it's mostly co-op and solo play, so it's mm. less about big versus. The co-op, though, is what I've called hostile co-op, so you have your own agendas. So your characters will have things they need to do, like get one of the other crew members uh, infected by an alien parasite. Mm. Uh, and so you're, you don't want them to die, but you don't really care if they get bitten. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'll help you once it's bitten you. And those will be secret agendas that each player has. So um, Yeah, that sounds very much you. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's quite a fun game because you'll have things like this where, and some of the secret agendas are um, literally one of the ones I wrote was, uh, it has no in-game purpose at all. It was just smile, pick another player and smile at them every now and again because you can play up to four players. Mm. Um, so just to smile at them disturbingly. That was the, that was the um, so Breaking the like fourth that. wall, I guess. A little bit, yeah. And they're like, what's he doing? He's, he's clearly got an evil agenda. No, no, he's just smiling. Um, so that game uh, should be coming. I'll probably have more about it at the end of the year uh, because it's a new rule system. I'm playtesting mm-hmm. it to hell and back and, and making sure it actually plays as a game. Um, and then the other stuff I'm working on is, is a bit more role-playing focused, which is a book about wealth, uh, Welsh mythological creatures. Okay. So being Welsh, uh, I want to bring some of the more weird and abstract creatures from Welsh mythology to the limelight and, and to put them out there for people to see. Um, I'll probably do forbidden sound rules for them as well uh, and try and get people to, to make miniatures of them. 
but that's a project I'm doing actually with my uh, with my kid. Um, okay, that's fun. Yeah, my 14, nearly 14 year old child who has done a bunch of art for the previous books is an incredible artist, better than I am. And uh, we're going to work together on that and they're going to do the art for the book and I'll do the writing with them. And then we'll put that out at some point, probably in the new year. So that's that's another project I'm working on. Um, All right. Well. A little bit more uh, family friendly, perhaps. Not oh, as no, much, they're... you know, stabbing in the eye. Or is it that's going to be the no, theme no, as no, well? No, no, no. My kids are real dark. No, it's... Um, and I mean, <laughs> the, Welsh, the Welsh stories are pretty terrifying. So um, <laughs> it's a lot more, you know, Brothers Grimm type fairy stories than it is uh, Disney. Ah, um, oh, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so not quite, I guess. <laughs> All right, I guess we'll, you know, feature it in 28 then as well at some point. <laughs> Why can't I, you know, ever have a happy game? <laughs> there, there is in the works as well, and this one I'm still, I, I go back to it every now and play with it. There is a kid-friendly version of Forbidden Psalm sitting in the works um, <laughs> that I will eventually finish, which is... Uh, Forbidden Psalm, but instead of it, you are your characters, your, your five minis, they are kids pretending to play games. So they've got, you know, wooden mm. swords and paper helmets and, uh, you know, fighting the neighborhood dog and uh, protecting their treehouse and stuff like that. So that that is a minis game I'm going to finish at some point. Uh, That's how it's awesome. Kind yeah, of like so. a loud psalm, I guess, then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that that is something I definitely want to finish. And then all the scenarios are much more about like uh, getting past the bullies to the shop at the end of the road, so you can get some sweets and uh, mm. things like that. And, and your equipment is, you know, things like your local bike or uh, <laughs> other like things a kid would have access to, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reminds me a bit about the Japanese uh, video role playing game Mother, where you also mm-hmm. just play as kids. I think it was like. Uh, earthbound in yeah, Europe earthbound. or US, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the the second part was Earthbound, I think. Same kind of like vibe to it. I think I think it's yeah. cool. I definitely yeah. want to see more of that. Definitely going to have that vibe, and it, it's you know a couple of people have said that Forbidden Sounds great. They want to play with their kids. It's a bit too dark. It's like yeah, I get that. Let's do it's, it's friendly it up a bit. It'll still have a lot of silliness in it, mm-hmm. um, uh, but yeah, we'll definitely. We'll definitely find ways of making it fun. We'll still have ways of making it so that, you know, kids, you need to get new kids every now and again because one of them will move away or uh, his parents mm. won't let him play with you anymore. Or <laughs> <laughs> The dog that. chased away James. We never saw him again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, but I think it's cool. And uh, especially if it allows, because, you know, kids can have kind of dark humor without yeah. realizing it. So if it's gets that vibe, the like good childhood vibe, where it's kind of like, you know, the goonies and this kind of thing, stranger yeah. things, well, perhaps without the aliens from another dimension, <laughs> but still. Yeah, it's that thing of like, the kids don't die, but sometimes they disappear. Mm. <laughs> we'll just draw a line under that and you can make up your own conclusions. Um, yeah, exactly, it's for the adults in the room and for the children. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that is a, a project that is sitting in my uh, in my various InDesign stages of development, um, and I will finish it at some point. Uh, yeah, sweet. Uh, then we have to talk some some miniature sculptors into making cool kids. Yeah, that or like amazing. not cool kids. I mean, they they should really be like the nerdy kids. <laughs> oh, absolutely, the nerdy kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that would be really cool. Uh, to have that that'll be the miniature line I'll I'll do. There you go. <laughs> Let me know if I can help with that. <laughs> that will be our punk rock album. <laughs> <laughs> Just make a bunch of kids wearing like yeah. homemade wooden swords. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. So uh, we usually end uh, the podcast with asking our guests about a movie, a book, and a game. And for you, I actually have to put in a small extra rule. Like, you can't mention your own game, but basically, like, a really good book, or, I mean, even a book that's really bad, but you found it interesting, it's okay. 
and the same for a movie and a game. Something just, you know, you like or enjoyed, made you think. Okay, awesome. So I think for for book, I'll just go with the last thing I read, which was um, uh, Hail Mary by Andy Weir, um, the guy that did The Martian. Um, mm. uh, it's a really interesting book because it's about basically a, a human and an alien having to work together without any way of communicating and then they have to like invent the ways of communication and it is just very interestingly done uh, about that kind of first contact between humans and an alien um, which uh, I quite enjoyed so yeah definitely recommend that book it does follow the same pattern that all of his other books follow which is it's a dude who is being presented with various challenges by his circumstances that he then has to overcome uh, and then he just does that until the book ends. Uh, that would be my criticism of it, <laughs> but it's still very good. Um, so it's it's a bit like The Martian, but there's an alien in it as well. So uh, yeah, if you like The Martian, you'll probably like it. Um, so that one. For film, I'm recommending a movie that is objectively one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Okay. But everyone needs to watch it, which is, there was a movie, so there's a role-playing game called Mutant Chronicles, and they made a movie called mutant chronicles in like 2007 or 2008 or something it's got a bunch of like big name actors in it like ron perlman's in it john malkovich is in it uh and a bunch of other people so it's like got some actual names like big name actors in it. thomas jane is in it i think yes. that's his name the yes. you know semi-original punisher <laughs> yeah thomas jane's in it it is awful it is there's is, it's just a bad movie but I recommend everyone watch it. One, because it's really hard to find because it was so bad. I think it's got like a, a, a sub-20 score on like Rotten Tomato type thing. Um, also because John Malkovich is clearly not, doesn't want to be in the movie at any point. Doesn't even try and act. Is You know, you can almost see the guy off screen pointing at his lines for him, uh, which is fantastic. The overall movie is just awful. So badly scripted and written. And I want people to watch it because you watch it and you go, why did they make this? Like, how did this happen <laughs> that they made this? And we're like, yeah, that is what we're going to put out. But also it's a thing of everyone I've ever known who's watched it all agree that it's terrible. So it's not those things where you have a debate about if a movie's good or bad. Like this is an objectively bad movie. And I think everyone should see it once in their life. Cause if, if anyone can then say, you know, what is the worst movie you've ever seen? Everyone can just agree. It's this. Uh, I actually have to admit, I own it on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> you like it. I, I, I think it's hilariously dumb. And yes. uh, when I was, you know, 12 or something like that, I used to play this card game they made about the Mutant Chronicles. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, played it because it was either in Finnish, which wasn't my strongest language, ironically enough, or English, which I didn't speak. <laughs> so we had, me and my brother had kind of weird rules. But they had so good art. It was like, you know, Paul Bonner. And, uh, you know, if somebody makes good over-the-top action <laughs> scenes. It's Paul Bonner. They're amazingly. Yeah. So it's kind of like, hey, cool. There's actually a miniature games for that as well yeah. that tried to be the new Warhammer back in the day. Didn't become the new Warhammer, but you know, still made some really bad <laughs> miniatures. And I was just like, all right, I'll watch this movie. And I was just like flabbergasted <laughs> how dumb it was. I know. And it's just like, what the hell is happening here? There are some cool moments in it. Yeah. And some of the shots are decently made. And then there's just like something happening and they're like, hey, did we did I miss like uh-huh. <laughs> you know like, 10 minutes or something? Why is this happening? Whole, whole areas of like dialogue that were needed to explain why they're doing things. Like at the end they go on like a suicide mission and at no point explain why. <laughs> Yeah, and you're like you're all going to die, but you're not telling any of us why you're doing this. Okay, um, it's just like it's, why should we care about any of you? You can see, like, yeah. okay, they're gonna kill him in you know a couple of minutes because he didn't get a backstory, <laughs> right? It's it honestly, it's one of those movies where like clearly there was some talent behind it, and there was an attempt to make a good movie, mm. and it just doesn't at any point come together. And I love it for how bad it is. So I genuinely like tell people to go watch this movie all the time. Um, I've got a bunch of friends that I do that I, I GM for, and probably once every like four months, I'll bring up this movie and t- like remind them that they have to watch it. None of them have. Uh, yeah, but it's and it's not. I mean, it's bad, but it's still. 
you know, like, for example, I see in Dusk Till Dawn 2. Yeah. Which is so bad, it's not even fun. That's right. It's, it, this does fall into that, like, it's not a waste of your time to see this movie. You Even just talking about it is fun, because it's, yeah. it's bad in the right ways. And that's why I love, kind of love it and recommend it to people, even though it's objectively not a good movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of it seems like kind of, you know, a group of 14-year-olds like wrote the script, shot it, and edited it, but they still had some, you know, professional there who supervised the whole thing. But a lot of it seems like this is what, you know, a kid thinks it's cool. Yes. Oh, yeah, there's a, you know, Nina chick with a katana. Yeah, hell yeah. That's like, you know, when you're 40-year-olds, holy shit. <laughs> uh-huh. it's, it's such a bizarre film. And it, it's also got this weird, like, trench warfare aesthetic for a bit of it. Yeah. And also, like, people are leaving the planet because the planet's destroyed for some reason. They never really say why. It, so it's just this fantastic mess of a movie. And I do kind of love it, even though I also think it's a terrible movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is objectively bad. <laughs> There's yeah. no defense for it. But it's still, when you see it, you know, it's fun to see this kind of, as you said, John Malkovich slumming it hard and being oh, just like, why yeah. the fuck am I here? You can see it in his face as he's saying his lines. You can see the disdain he has for his agent. Like, I <laughs> swear to God, he must have fired the agent he had after they finished. <laughs> and he probably was line. there for like one day. I mean, yeah, I absolutely. seriously doubt. I mean, he's basically doing, you know, a Bruce Willis where you just do the bare minimum and then they can have an extra to, you know, film you from the back and be like, there he is. And, and like, to be fair to Thomas Jane and Ron Perlman, they both treat it like a proper serious movie and they try and give it their best. Yeah. But their dialogue is awful. And oh, yeah. Like, all of the rationale for their characters is terrible. And yeah, I, but I still have this like real soft spot for it. Hence why that is my, that is my movie recommendation. Um, That's a great choice. I fully yeah. <laughs> support it. <laughs> I think for game then, uh, Again, because I break the rules, I'm going to do two of those. Right, Gamma Wolves by Ash Barker. It's a great mech game um, that, again, really encourages kit bashing and things. I think it, you know, if you want to do mechs, like proper, you know, 80s, 90s cartoon mech game, it Mm. just nails the aesthetic and the feel of it so well. And then the other one is um, actually a game called Infinity, which is quite a big game uh, Mm. because it's the polar opposite of Forbidden Psalm. It is the Mm. most complicated game with a thousand and one rules that all interact in the most difficult and interesting, unique ways. And you play the game and you have to bring up the rule book. And there's something about it that I love, even though it is the opposite of what I normally love in games. It is the, yeah, it's like doing, it's the miniature game version of doing a PhD. (laughs) It's, It's so complicated and sometimes unnecessarily so. And they'll have rules that will work one way in every instance, except for this one specific instance where now it behaves entirely differently. And you're like, why have they done this? This is fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I kind of love it because it also ends up with the same kind of narratives coming out of it. You still, you forget all the complexity of the rules because your big soldier that's a wolf man got to punch a robot in the face. And that's the story <laughs> you remember, not the really complex rules. But yeah, it's... That is a game I think everyone should check out, even just from it, even if you don't want to play it, just look at it. I also love their business model because they put all their rules out for free. Mm. They encourage proxying minis. So, you know, basically try it before you buy. They've got an army builder app that is actually genuinely fantastic. So it's this really complex game that actually has some of the best accessibility in terms of getting new players involved. Uh, some of the best business model in terms of like, hey, buy the minis, but all the rules and everything else is free. You know, hmm. and if you want the fluff, you can buy the fluff. We'll do a book that is just the setting and the fluff. But you don't yeah. need to. You don't need to care about it. Um, so I, I love the model of the company, and we'll give them a shout out for that. So even if people are like, this game's too hard for me and it breaks my brain, still worth checking out and, and like looking at the company. Plus, with Kill Sample Process, some of the best cyberpunk minis that you'll ever see. So hmm. um, if you're looking for minis to play uh, Kill Sample Process with, like that company's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. No, I've heard lot of good stuff about it. I think somebody wrote that it's kind of like seeing a computer game where you're the computer and have to keep track of all the variables. But other than that, I, I've heard a lot of good things for it. It's, it's a really great game. And it's, it has 
the one thing that I think a lot of mini games fail, which is when it's not your turn, you often feel a little bit removed from game. Yeah, that's this usually game, the boring part. Yeah, this game doesn't do that at all. You're always playing as a, a thing called, they call it the ARO system, but it just means that when somebody like when someone's mini moves in front of you or they shoot at you, you get choices of what you do back. So things mm. happen at the same time. So you shoot back at them, or you can dodge, or you can you know, use hacking programs. And it's because of that interaction is why the rules then end up being so complicated. But it does mean you're always playing. So if you can get your head around the, probably the like one of the more dense uh, miniature games, uh, it's well worth it. All right, cool. Hey, it's been a genuine pleasure talking with you, as always. And uh, hopefully we'll hear back from you on your other games. Maybe do another episode then when they're getting closer to actually being launched. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. I'd love to come on again. Great. But hey, thank you very much for participating. And thank you to all our listening listeners. This has been 32, a 28 podcast. And we'll see you in episode 7. Thank you. Bye. Bye.